Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning to read verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Will you turn to the very end of the book, please, to chapter 12? And let's just read the last two verses. Ecclesiastes 12, verses 13 and 14. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Now we know the Lord will bless the reading of his own word this evening. Let's just by again in a word of prayer. Father, Thank you, Lord, that you are sovereign over all. God over all, who gave his only begotten Son. Thank you, Father, for the Lamb of God. Thank you, Father, for his most precious blood, for his once and for all sacrifice in Calvary. We thank you, Lord Jesus, you paid our debt everything in full. And we thank you, Lord, you've given us of your Holy Spirit to be in us, to be with us. You're for us and not against us as your redeemed people. Father, we pray now that you would help us to be settled in this house and in your presence and that you would enable me, Lord, a frail man of clay lips to be anointed of the Spirit, to preach thy own true word with boldness and with clarity, in truth rightly divided. And, O Lord, that you would give listening ears and that you would give understanding hearts to the people who come under the sound of my voice bless and encourage those who can't be with us this evening, those who are mourning, Lord, two families in mourning, Father, even just from yesterday. Bless them and encourage them this day. Bless those who are ill and can't be with us as well, Lord, tonight. Give them their portion, we ask. Father, if there's one here who has not yet made their calling an election, sure, who has not yet come to the foot of the cross to repent of their sin, who has not yet been born again of the Spirit and washed by faith in the precious blood of the Lamb. Oh God, we pray that you'd save them for time and eternity tonight, that thy word would find a lodging place that men and women would understand their need of a Savior and that men and women would understand there is only one who is able Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence. I glorify your own good name 
for it's in thine own name we ask it. Amen. This evening we want to speak on the preacher's conclusion. The preacher's conclusion. I received a text, I think it was about 11.30 the other night, and I didn't answer it because I didn't know how to. And was asked, what's your take on the book of Ecclesiastes? The person was asking because they're interested. And so I think it was the next day I answered more, um, how do you put it into words? And then during that week, there was two people who'd spoken about death had come to their family, to their house. And everything that the people had labored for, strived for, were worried over. People lived for the moment, for the quick fix, for the here and now. And suddenly they're gone and all is left behind them. And they went into eternity without Christ. They went into eternity not knowing the Savior. Yet they strive so much to live so well in this life. And yet they enter eternity totally barren, destitute, and lost without the Savior. The preacher here is Solomon. Notice what he says in verse 1 of chapter 1. He says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Notice where he places himself, the son of David, yet I'm going to show you something about this preacher. Something about the man who brings the word of God to Israel. He's a king. He's done well for himself. He's sitting in Jerusalem. All seems great. But he still says, I'm the son of David. It's as though he's really relying to ride on the coattails of his father because he knows his life hasn't been what it should. I'm the son of David. Friend, I want to tell you, there's not a man nor a woman can ride the coattails of a loved one into heaven. There's not a man and a woman who can bring you into glory. There's not a man and a woman who can bring you into God's kingdom on that day but the Lord Jesus Christ and him only. Solomon says he's the son of David. He looks at his line, his pedigree. I'm the king, he says. And then he goes through the discourse of the book of Ecclesiastes, which is cut up for us into 12 chapters. Notice this. The preacher being Solomon. Solomon means peace or peaceful. And you'll find that Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. Now, in case you don't know who Bathsheba is, she was the wife of Uriah the Hittite. She was, he wasn't an Israelite, but he loved Israel, and he loved the God of Israel, and he fought alongside Israel against the enemies of Israel. And Uriah the Hittite was out fighting when the, uh, the time it was to go out to send the armies out, but David stayed at home. You see, there's a time... Brothers and sisters, when we realize we should be out moving forward in God and not resting on our laurels at home because the devil will give you something to do with your idle hands. David sees Bathsheba, strangely enough, having a bath. (laughs) 
And this woman having this bath, he connects with her and they lay together. She has a child and it dies. The heartache and the hurt of losing a loved one, but the heartache and the hurt of losing a child. It's like nothing else. I don't want to experience it. Here, Solomon, he is born next I think it's tremendous because even though Uriah the Hittite, he comes home, you see, and David tries to, to get Uriah to go into Bathsheba. Bathsheba will be expecting a baby. And he wants him to go in and, and to lie with his wife that David would get off the hook from his sin, but be sure your sin will find you out because Uriah, being so faithful, decides that he would rather lay at the door of the king than go and stay with his own wife and family. And so David writes a letter and he gives it to old Joab who takes it right in and he says, set Uriah in the hottest, most part of the battle. And so he comes with this letter and Uriah, uh, 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 he goes and he, he's in the hottest, most part of the battle and he's killed. David has literally, by proxy, committed murder. The Hittite is gone. The baby dies. He commits adultery. He commits murder. He feels God. He lies and he cheats. And yet, throughout it all, they have another baby, and they call him Solomon. You see, the Bible tells us that David comforted his wife. Bathsheba. And so he gets the name Peaceful. Peaceful. Brought peace to the home. Isn't it tremendous that when we think of the depravity of the human nature, isn't it wonderful when we think of the sin that we find ourselves in? Isn't it wonderful that in this place alone, never mind everywhere else, where there are so many people with different lives and different backgrounds and different stories to be told, and they've lived some people a good life, some people a clean life, and others have lived a terrible life of sin, yet God is merciful, and God is gracious, and He's more merciful and loving kindness than any man or woman could ever be to you. And he says to David, here I'll give you one to bring peace. And their hearts were soothed by Solomon. Notice this, 2 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24. It says, and he called his name Solomon. And I think this is beautiful. And the Lord loved him. His name's going to be called Solomon Bathsheba. He's bringing peace to our hearts after our loss. See, God more than makes it up to you. Whatever you feel you give up, whatever you feel you leave and you come to God, you come to Christ through the cross, you find God always gives you the better life. He makes it up to you more than even people say, if I got saved, my family would have nothing to do with me. Listen, when you get saved, God loves you and God gives you the ability to carry on in his name, to witness and to reach out. I was the first person in my family. I was the first person saved in a Presbyterian household. 
My family started getting saved one by one. And guess what? Before they died, they're all professing Christ as Lord. And I was the worst of them all. I was the worst of them all. Here we find the grace of God, it says, and he called his name Solomon. David says, well, call him Solomon. Notice, and the Lord loved him. Oh, the wonderful thing about this is that when no one else would love you, when you think that person is unlovable, listen, he loves you. When you feel unlovable and you think you're unlovable and nobody will love you, notice this, that God loves you. That he loves you with an everlasting love. In the deepest, darkest moments of your heart, grasp hold of this. Grasp hold of it if you can. That God loves you. I want to tell you something, but if you're not saved, and this might sound strange, but listen, hold, listen to what I say. Hear me out. God loves you, but the love of God doesn't save you. As a rich young man came and Jesus told him what to do. Come and follow me, he says. And he went away sad and says, and, and Jesus loved him. Never hear of that young man coming to save him faith again. Never hear of anything of him. But it was love that sent his son. It was love that died on the cross. But the blood must be applied to the life, to the heart. His love doesn't save, his grace saves. Grace by faith. Here, Solomon in 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 34. Listen to what it says about how God blessed him. And there came all the people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. God's now blessing him with wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 10 and verse 24 says, And all the earth sought to Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put in his heart. Can you see how gracious and kind and merciful, compassionate and good God is here? From this, this union which should never have been, now God is blessed. So many people would at times come and talk to me and they say, oh, well, maybe my mom and dad said I was just an accident and it sort of knocks them right down. Listen, we understand all those things. Your mom and dad may have thought it was an accident, but God knew you and loved you from before the foundation of the world. God put wisdom in his heart. He loved him. Now he blesses him. And in 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 25, it says, And the Lord magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of of all Israel. Notice, and bestowed upon him such royal majesty as it had not been on any king before him in Israel. Now, when I read that, I thought, hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Solomon, when we see the ending of the life of Solomon, it's a life of disaster. And God bestowed upon you such royal majesty that it was never seen before in the kings of Israel. Well, I want to tell you something else. There only was two before him. And one wasn't chosen of God. But the one that was was his father, David. He says, this is the man after mine own heart. 
imagine that the Lord says, out of this union, I have not only loved you, I have not only blessed you, but I have magnified you in Israel, and I have bestowed upon you such royal majesty as had not been in any king before him in Israel. Saul was the first king, man's choice. David was God's choice. And now we have Solomon. So Solomon the preacher, the son of David. 1 Kings chapter 4 and verse 32 tells us that Solomon wrote 3,000 proverbs. He was pretty prolific, this man. He wrote 3,000 proverbs, listen, and he wrote 1,005 songs. I'd love to read them. Where are they? We know we have the Song of Songs, or the, the Canticles, as some people call them, the Song of Solomon. It's actually the, the book that's after, the book of Ecclesiastes, when Solomon and Shulamite girl, who is poor, she, he's singing, it's a love song, back and forward one to another. It's a picture of Christ and his redeemed bride. And they sing back and forward. He brings me into his banqueting house and his banner over me is love, she says. Solomon writes these from a heart of love touched by God. See, this preacher here, he's living, he's real, he's alive. He's in touch with reality. Solomon in the book of Solomon or the song of Solomon, he says, the song of songs, which is Solomon's. What does he mean? The song of songs really means that he emphasizes the song. See, this song, this song is prophetic because it speaks of Christ coming. Solomon representing Christ as redeemed bride as you and I. And here is the love song between them and how we are brought from the fiends and, uh, of despair in our, our dirty clothes and garments and he washes us and he dresses us with, with garments of righteousness and he brings us in and sets us under his table to feast. And he just loves, loves, loves us. His banner over me is love. So we can see here that Solomon writes the Song of Songs. He's emphasizing this song is the greatest song to be sung by the chief musicians. And yet in the book of Ecclesiastes, listen to the way he says it. It's the Song of Songs. And then now he says, vanity of vanities. Emptiness of emptiness. Vain being vain. Upon vanity, upon vanity. In other words, you can't bring it with you, and it accounts for nothing. And when you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, he speaks about drinking. He speaks about working and enjoying the fruit and the labors of your hands and the things that it brings. Eat and drink and be happy or merry, for tomorrow we die type of thing. But he is speaking from a false premise. In other words, he's given us the mindset to show us what people think. And the conclusion of it all is at the end of chapter 12, which we read, that God will judge everything, even the secrets of our hearts. The last mention of Solomon is in Acts chapter 7. And in verse 46, reading on, it's when Stephen is being stoned, the first recorded martyr in the Bible. And 
he speaks of Solomon, it says, of David desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. Verse 47 says, but Solomon built him a house. Solomon now is employing his gifts and his talents for the glory of Yahweh, Jehovah God. Verse 48, how be it, the most high dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as, the pro- as saith the prophet. Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build me, saith the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Verse 50, hath not mine hands made all these things, God says. Where do you think you're going to build me? My hands has made everything, God says. You see, in the Old Testament, man was trying to build a resting place or a temple or a tabernacle for God. But in the New Covenant, God takes man and makes him his tabernacle. God lives in the church. He lives in his redeemed. He lives in those who love him. The Lord Jesus, speaking of his own self, in comparison to Solomon in Luke chapter 11 and verse 31, listen to what he says. Behold, he says, a greater than Solomon is here. A greater than Solomon is here. Even with Solomon's royal majesty, with his godly father David, with his wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, even with all his riches and his wealth, with his soldiers and his armies and his horses and his chariots and his great naval fleet that circum, uh, circumference the globe for three and a half years at times. Didn't just do the Mediterranean. Sailed all over the world and brought back the riches of the world. For three and a half years, they were gone. Solomon, who built the house of the Lord. Solomon, who made it a great ornate temple. Solomon had it in such wonderful glory for God. Solomon, who at the very opening or the dedication of the temple, spreads forth his hands and prays unto the Lord. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 1 tells us, And fire came down from heaven. This is the preacher. This is the preacher who's reading the book of Ecclesiastes. Loved by the Lord. Blessed by the Lord. Magnified by the Lord. He sat on the throne of the Lord. And even with it all, the Lord Jesus, an itinerant preacher from Galilee, he said of himself again, foxes of holes and the birds of the air have nests. The Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Yet he's greater than Solomon. Yet he's bigger than Solomon. Oh, he who was despised and rejected of men and a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, the Lord Jesus Christ. He who came unto his own and his own received him not. He was rejected by the people of Chorazin, by those in Bethsaida, by the folk of Capernaum and the cities of Decapolis. The same Jesus who was rejected and made unwelcome by the Samaritans, by those in Jerusalem who cried, crucify him, by the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes. Jesus who was even cast out by the pig farmers of Gadara. Jesus who many fair weather followers Snowflake friends 
and coattailed disciples left him from John chapter 6 when he started to give them meat to eat and spiritual matters, eat my flesh and drink my blood, representing that of the cross. They started to leave him. This same Jesus who died alone on a cross, bearing your sin and my sin, this same Jesus who bled, hanging in agony, He said, Behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And he is a greater than Solomon. He is a greater than Solomon. You see, Jesus was God. The Word of God made flesh. The Son of God and the Son of Man. Solomon could declare himself the preacher, the son of David. But Jesus can declare himself, David's greater son, the preacher, the son of God. That's the difference. That's the difference. Jesus was perfect, sinless, spotless. He was impeccable. Solomon was a sinner. First Kings chapter 11, if you'd like to turn quickly and briefly Verse, chapter 11, verse 1 says, But King Solomon loved many strange women. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, Ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Notice what it says, Solomon, cleave unto these in love. Solomon, cleave unto these in love. See the word cleave? Gives the idea to grip, to hold fast. It cannot be praised from your hands. Solomon wouldn't let them go. What God is in your life that you cleave to? takes the place of Christ. It takes his throne, his rightful throne in your life. The greatest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me to tear it from thy throne and worship only thee. Solomon Cleave unto these. These women turned his head and then they turned his heart. He had 700 wives. Princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart. No wonder. 700, my word. 700 mother-in-laws. Think about it. <laughs> Can you see where this man has fallen to? This man was loved by the Lord, blessed by the Lord, magnified by the Lord. 
And now he's turned from him. He's the preacher. He's the king. Time escapes me to tell you what happened, but God raised up three adversaries to Solomon's son, Rehoboam. From Solomon into Rehoboam, we had Hadad the Edomite. Rezin, the king of Syria. And Jeroboam was an Israelite, the Ephrathite. He was a servant of Solomon who broke the nation of Israel from ten tribes in two, into two kingdoms. All because, all because he rebelled. He rejected the word of God. Listen to Ecclesiastes, what Solomon writes. Now you see, I've introduced to you, before we go into the conclusion of the book of Ecclesiastes, I can't go through chapters. This is a limited time. But listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, and verse 8. The preacher This is what he concludes. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. He who who, who ended wrong, yes, he died in an old age, but he ended wrong. He finished bad. Is it any wonder now he's tried everything and throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, it's labor, work, party, play, do it all over, do what you want, see how you get on. And at the end of it, he says, I have done it. Oh, but I have wasted my life before God, whom I will stand before on that day. So please don't get carried away with thinking. Solomon says, go sin all you want. Live how you like and die without knowing him because Solomon has come to a conclusion that's not the case. There are many who profess faith in Christ and who have burned bright for him but were carried away by other things and have fallen away from him. Maybe you're here. You see, shooting stars burn bright, but don't burn long. They shine bright, but they don't shine long. Solomon was a shooting star who fizzled out and didn't finish well. And thus, he will go to eternity. To meet God. How will you go into eternity? <coughs> How will you go into eternity? Got a phone call. The families aren't here tonight. Got a phone call. There was a man washing his car yesterday in his 40s. 
He walked in to go to the bathroom in the hallway. He took his time coming out and they found him lying dead on the floor. Nothing wrong with him, just off he went. Tragic. What a thought was you. What a thought was you. Proverbs 22 and verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. Notice, a good name. That means a good reputation or a good testimony. Solomon, you're writing here. And look what you're doing. You see, you only get away with it for such a short period of time. And a good name here, it means that a name that has a good reputation. That is a good reputation before men and before God. A testimony to be had that you know him. And loving favor, great riches and loving favor than silver and gold. Notice, loving favor here is grace. It gives the idea of the love in which we are held in, which God sends to us, because when we're saved, he keeps us. And his grace, we live to the best of our ability before him. But he keeps us by his grace. The name that I trust in, the reputation that I hold my whole eternal welfare in and rest completely in, is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The loving favor that's better than silver and gold is the grace of God that is found in Christ. The grace meaning, although I was a, the chiefest of sinners, though I was the chiefest of sinners, Although I was unworthy and could do nothing to save myself, he came down for me. And friend, he came down for you to die on the cross. The the preacher's conclusion is and should always be that Jesus is greater than Solomon. That Jesus as a good name above all names. And that Jesus' loving favor is sovereign grace. Sovereign grace to an unworthy people. To an unworthy man. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 1 says, the words of the preacher, the word preacher is the word kohileth in the Hebrew text. Kohileth. That means a convener or a conveyor. It gives the idea, a collector of sentences. He's thinking, Lord, what are you going to give me? What do you want to tell me? Lord, I'm seeking your face to get the word for the people. Listen, I don't want to be coming up here and trying to uh, palm you off with some little, uh, nice little story or a couple of little fancy illustrations. They all maybe have their place at times. But week after week, they fill you full of candy floss, but sweet to eat. But afterwards, there's no sustenance in it. 
There's no substance in it. Everybody who comes to the Word of God, whether you're a preacher or not, should be sitting under the Word and saying, Father, tell me, help me to collect these sentences as you would speak to me, that I may be filled with thy Word, for thy Word is truth. Solomon, he's the preacher, he says, tell me what you want me to tell them. And at the end of it all is, Solomon, you tell them the life you have lived. And you tell them that they can go and live how they like if that's what they want to do. Paul says, all things are lawful unto me, but not all things are expedient. He says, oh, in grace there's many Christians and they're living like devils. But it's not expedient. One day you'll stand before Christ. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2. He says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Can you imagine getting a sermon like this from Queen Elizabeth? Christmas Day, 3 o'clock, BBC One. You sit down to watch the Queen's speech. And we get all sorts of multiculturalism and multi-faithism and a wee bit of the, but I trust in Jesus. Ah, oh, come on. Come on, your majesty. Stand up and proclaim him. Stand up and proclaim him as your king. Would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7? Ecclesiastes 7. Let's just read from verse 27, please. I've had to pick through just a, a few things to draw out for this message this evening. Verse 27. Behold, this I have found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account. Here he's starting to add it all up. Which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found. But a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Do you know what Solomon's starting to do? He's starting to go back to the fall in the garden. God made Adam in his own image. Upright. No death. No sin. And since that, he says, now they're getting worse by their own inventions, their own mindsets, their own lifestyles, the depravity of their nature, of who they are within themselves. He says, there's nothing they wouldn't sink to. He says, I've found one man in a thousand, maybe. That's his idea. No women. Sorry, lady. He says, there's no women. But the man that we look for in a thousand, then the next thousand, and the next, and the next, and the next, throughout all eternity and all men, there's one man, and his name is the Lord Jesus, who alone is righteous, who alone is able to save. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 9. 
And moreover, because the preacher was wise. He still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought out to find acceptable words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Notice what he's saying here. He's saying, I, I'm failing, but I still need something for the people. I still need something. He's collecting the sentences. He's gathering the words. Give me God. He says, you tell them this. Here's your conclusion, son. Look at your life. Oh, yes, live and enjoy your life by all means, he says. But listen, the conclusion is this. There's a judgment at the end of all that joy. And God says, now here's the word. Go tell them. Go tell them. The preacher should teach people the knowledge of the Lord and bring forth words given by him. Solomon, the king, the son of David, Solomon the Kohileth, or the preacher, the collector of sentences and words, has looked upon it all, the riches, the pleasures, the desires, the loves, the lusts, the titles and the triumphs and the trophies. Throughout the chapters of Ecclesiastes, as he looks through for all that mankind strives for, our labor of love, the works of our hands, the desires of our hearts, the worldliness of our ways. Yes, enjoy living and enjoy life, he says. But remember, he tells us this in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Now you go and read a book of Ecclesiastes and as you read it, your flesh is going to rejoice. Oh, Look what we're allowed to do. Look what God tells us we can do. Ah, but he says, now you do that. Here's the conclusion. You live without Christ. Here's the conclusion. The preacher's conclusion is this. You may live as you please, but do not exclude eternal accountability and the God of eternity. As my pastor used to always say, you cannot live wrong and die right. Listen, I'm saved by sovereign grace, kept by the power of God. I fill him every day. I try my best, but it's not enough. I'm under the blood, and I understand that. I'm seated in Christ, heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I know it. I know it. But dare I fly in the face of God and live in an open course of sin? Dare I even try? Because then he says, you will stand before me on that day. 
The word conclusion here is the word sophie. And it means the termination, the end, or the hinder part of all things. When it's all said and done, the wages of sin is death. We're still living and we're sinning. Sure, we're doing all right. What about God? The wages of sin is death. It's not payday yet. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 2. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to their heart. Do you know the best place to preach the gospel I find? At a funeral service. you know why? Because they're sitting before the reality of the mortality of their body. So many preachers miss the mark. Don't tell them their need of Christ. I got a phone call a few years back and there was another minister. He says, you know such and such? And I says, I do. I got the door wrapped and I went round to this. I went round to the pub. Was asked to go in and there was this wee man who came to one or two meetings and didn't even know anything about him. He was laying stretched out, dead on the floor. Fell off a bar stool. Stone. Stoned out of his head. Dead on the floor. And there's me on my knees in the middle of the pub. And all those went quiet around him, knowing this man had passed out into eternity. And this man phone says, you know such and such? I says, yes, I do. Yes. I don't know him well, but I know him. Starts to proceed to tell me that this minister was going to do the funeral service. He says, I look, I don't really know the man. I'm fine. I'll, I'll attend just to pay my respects. But you know what? That's fine. That's okay. And he started talking about him. He was dancing around the streets of heaven. I says, is he? Is he? Oh, and he's in the streets of glory now. I says, is he? He was a drunk who fell off a stool. Stone dead. And he went into eternity without Christ. Is he? I know the amount of people whose loved ones have died and didn't want to know anything about the Lord and have asked me to bury them. I don't know what to say. Notice what he says in Ecclesiastes. It's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. When you see that person there, I drove away, as I told you, during the week. I buried my cousin who committed suicide last week. Buried her on Thursday. I was driving away and I was thinking, how many more? I was counting all the family that had died and all the way. I was wondering, strange thought. I wonder when it is when it will be my turn. I wonder when it's going to be yours. That's why you need to be saved. That's why you must know him. 
That's why your whole trust must be in what Christ has done in Calvary. Must be ready. I think of, if you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I'm trying to round this up to close it for you. Thank you for your attention. And verse 11 says, He hath made everything beautiful in his time. Also he hath set the world in their hearts so that no man can find out the work of God that God maketh from the beginning to the end. The word end there is the exact same word for conclusion. We cannot find the conclusion of the work of God. There's things you're not going to try. You're trying to work it out in your mind. You're trying to understand it in your heart. And there's going to be things that you just cannot work out. You must receive by faith. You can't work it out. Even matter how long you're on the road, there's things we don't know. One thing I do know, that we will know it all in the by and by. He will reveal your heartaches to you and the reasons, the reasons why we've experienced things. You see, Luke 12 talks about the man, the Lord Jesus talks about the man who had a great harvest. He sees it so big, he can't fit it into his barn. He pulls down his barns and he builds bigger. And looking at it all with the full barns, he says, I will say unto my soul, soul, take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. <laughs> and then Jesus says, but God said, but God said, thy food. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? You can't bring it with you. People strive for this life to do well, and that's okay, but not in the place of God. Puritan John Owen said of sinning and the, the numbness of it in our society, listen to what he says. Custom of sinning takes away the sense of it. The course of the world takes away the shame of it. Let me say it again. Custom of sinning takes away the sense of it. Sure, it's customary now to sin, isn't it? It's customary now to have pornography. It's customary now to, to have nudity. It's customary now to have vulgarity. It's customary now to be with the drinking and the drug culture. See, it's our custom. It's okay. It's nullified and nullified by people in society. And the custom of sinning takes away our sense of it. We become numb to it that we don't even know that we're sinning anymore. We don't even know it. And the course of the world, the way the world is bringing us, takes away the shame of it. There's no shame anymore. There's no shame. Let's close it. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Forgive me for making a few quotes, but listen to what Kidner says on this. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. 
He says, fear God is a call that puts us in our place. And all other fears, hopes, and admirations in their place. We fear God. That is, we respect and reverence Him. It puts us in our place. Listen, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, I know I'm going against the flow with many. I'm a Pentecostal, you know that, but I'm going against the flow with many of them because they're all falling into this thing. We can live how we like. We're all under grace, and we're going into the charismatic renewal service. Listen, that's not me. I'm telling you now, we need to fear God again. Oh, his perfect love casts out fear. Yes, it does. You must first know him and his perfect love. John Trapp says, From that to this should be every man's pilgrimage in this world. We begin at vanity and never know perfectly that we are vain till we come to fear God and keep his commandments. I don't know sin. You don't know sin. I don't know my emptiness till I come before the commandments of God. Verse 14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Every one of us, Christian, non-Christian, will stand before God. Some will stand at the, uh, the, the great white throne judgment seat in Revelation chapter 20. Other of us will stand at, like Romans chapter 10, 10 and verse 14, at the judgment seat of Christ or the beam of seat of Christ where re- loss or reward will be given for the race that we have run, for the faithfulness of the service of Christ. But we'll stand there. So the preacher's conclusion is this. Live and enjoy life. But remember, it is a false economy and a total false premise without understanding the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments. It simply accentuates our sin and our depravity. To accentuate means to emphasize a particular feature of something or to make something more noticeable. When I start to walk before God according to his word, I start to realize just how filthy I am. That's the truth. I know there's people and they say, well, the closer I get to God, the more holy I become. Really? The closer I get to God, the more wretched I see myself. That's the truth. Last quote from A.W. Tozer. This is beautiful. Wish I had written this. Listen to what he says. We must hide our unholiness in the wounds of Christ as Moses hid himself in the cleft of the rock while the glory of God passed by. We must take refuge in God from God. Above all, we must believe that God sees us perfect in his Son. 
while he disciplines and chastens and purges us that we may be partakers in his holiness. I'm hiding like Moses in the cleft of the rock. I'm hiding in the wounds of Christ tonight. That which he bore in his body on the tree. And I believe that when God sees me in his son, he sees me perfect. After all that's said and done, he sees me righteous and justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Solomon says, listen to the preacher. Here's the conclusion. You live how you like, but remember this. God will bring it into judgment. I know there's many churches, most churches maybe, won't even touch that word. Won't speak about that word. But let me put it like this. I love your soul enough to tell you the truth. And now you come to know him if you don't know him. And you come to know him before the night's over. Amen. God bless his word to us. Thank you for your attention tonight.